after we did our first egg retrieval and I was devastated because we had zero healthy embryos, it was so helpful to hear your story because mm -hmm. they kept saying to me, oh, we'll try a different protocol the second time around. I was like, this is bullshit. I don't trust any of you. We've paid billions of dollars. I'm exaggerating. <laughs> but what felt One like billion. <laughs> it feels like, I mean, it feels yeah. like monopoly money straight up. It's it like, I don't know where this is coming from, but no. we're doing it. Like, this is like, pretend. Been There, Injected That is a TMI podcast about going through infertility and all the hormone injections, awkward moments, and nervous breakdowns along the way. I'm Elise Ash. Hi, everybody. Welcome to this episode of Been There, Injected That. Today on the podcast, we have two very special guests who are two of my dear personal friends who have been through so much infertility shit with me that it's actually unbelievable, and I'm really excited to have them both here. We have Sarah Peltier, who's a high school social worker here in Minnesota. Hi, Sarah. Hi, everyone. And we also have Keelan Simonson, who is an entrepreneur and CEO of her own organizing company called Organize. So look that up. Hi, Keelan. Hi. So I'm going to ask Sarah a couple questions first. And Sarah, why don't you just tell me a little bit about yourself? So what's your job? Where do you live? All that kind of stuff. So I am married. I've been married for four, almost four years. I live in South Minneapolis. I have a daughter who will be two in January. I'm a high school social worker in Bloomington. We all met through our infertility stories, which I think we'll get into, but you know, as much as I wouldn't have wanted to go through that, I think it has brought me to you guys. So that's been really lovely. Yeah. It's like the silver lining. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And then Keelan, why don't you share a little bit about yourself. So I live in Richfield with my husband, Charlie. We've been married almost, oh God, almost six years. And we have a daughter, Eileen, who will be two in December. And um, my husband works full-time at Travelers and I um, run my own business organizing for people. So you're essentially doing like the Marie Kondo thing, but like but better. But better and more Minnesotan. Exactly. Okay, exactly. so more Let's like... take all your crap out and more make it beautiful and don't have anxiety over it. And more like give you... You like give them compliments and make them feel good about themselves. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Always. Keelan is a very positive person and I feel like if you are in a moment of distress when you're trying to organize like your spice cabinet, she's just like such a beacon of light and hope. I hope to be. I love what I do. Awesome. Okay, so now what we'll do is we'll kind of go through rapid fire everybody's um, fertility stories and kind of how you got to where you are today. And I think we'll try to go through this just a little high level because I want to talk about the support that we all found within each other and how we recommend people who are still struggling to build their families, like where they can go to find support. So we'll talk briefly just so there's some kind of context for people about what we've been through, which we've all had like pretty similar experiences, I think, for the most part. But I just want to make sure everyone is grounded in our stories and kind of our experiences. So, Sarah, why don't you kind of go first and walk us through, you know, what life looked like before infertility, if you were diagnosed at all, what that looked like, how you made certain decisions, and kind of where you ended up. Sure. So, um, shortly after I got married, we decided to start trying to have children. I come from a really, really large extended family, and I figured as soon as I started trying there they would be. And I met my husband a little bit later in life. We got married in our late 30s. 
And I never really thought even with that number, like we'd have any problem. So we got married. We decided to start to try to have kids. We, um, I met with my OB maybe six to eight months after trying and we were trying pretty hardcore for a while, like the whole ovulation sticks and the whole shebang. She recommended us going to a fertility clinic, and it was kind of surprising because I just felt like, really? But we did. And then the whole thing, I feel like, is a blur because you just are on, like, mission impossible from, like, then on out. And um, we were diagnosed with male infertility with my husband, but I also think just with the age I was, so I was, like, I don't know, 36 or 7 at the time. I just think at that point, I'm sure my eggs weren't the healthiest they could be either, you know, so I think it was just a gamut of things. So we did IUI four times because it was covered with insurance and it did not work. Um, And we ended up doing IVF. We ended up doing two egg retrievals. The first one, none of the embryos were healthy, which was super hard and expensive and so we did a second egg retrieval. We had had um, four healthy embryos. They were all tested. It was like a miracle and transferred one a couple years ago. And that's our daughter, Allie. So awesome. So yeah. can you talk a little bit more about your and Joe, your husband's decision to pursue IVF? Like, was that a tough decision or was that something you were pretty aligned on? You know, I don't think it's ever anything we even like thought we would have to do. And so once we met with the fertility doctor, it just became apparent that she thought we it was something we would have to do. And I think at some point it's like you stop making decisions thinking about all of the different I don't even know how to explain it. You just move forward. Like you're just like on this path and you just do it. And you look back and you're like, I can't believe we did all that. I can't believe we paid all that money. I can't believe I cried that much. I can't believe I was that mad. And But you just do it because for whatever reason, we thought the end result was worth it. It's funny because I think when you're in the middle of it and you're torn between wanting to do all this research and due diligence and you want to like make sure that you're making the best possible decisions, it's so high stakes and expensive and time consuming and you want to just over google everything and you want to make sure like okay I'm at the right clinic I'm with the right doctor but then you also just like want the answer so you just like want your doctor to magically tell you like what's going to work and I don't know I felt overwhelmed by the amount of resources out there so I was kind of just like whatever you say totally let's do it because it is like way too overwhelming to even start looking at so much stuff and for us I felt like we weren't in our late 20s and I just felt like you know not that our doctor necessarily said this or my OB even either, but we didn't want to be in our late 40s figuring this out. We just knew we had to figure it out quick. So Keeling, can you walk us through your fertility journey and sort of the highlights and lowlights <laughs> of your experience? The highlight reel of my journey. The highlight reel, which is mostly lowlights of crying and... <laughs> and emotional times. Yeah. yeah. So my husband and I got married in 2013, and 
I think we started trying six months after we got married. That's fast, though. Six months after getting married, you're yeah. kind of like, let's just do this? Or Well, we were mar- We were together almost five years before we got married. Okay. So he really had to make sure that I was the person. <laughs> You'd already so, passed the test, so he was like, let's just re- right. let her rip. Yeah. Exactly. And I knew I wanted to be a mom, and I, I, don't, I did not expect that it would be difficult, but we had our dog. That was my most important thing after getting married, and and I thought, okay, we might as well start trying, and... I think when we started, I was, I mean, I want, I was excited about being mom. I didn't expect it to be difficult. And then, and then we started trying and I, and it wasn't happening. And then I realized, oh my gosh, I really do want this thing more than anything. Did a lot of your friends or family members have kids or like, were you feeling some kind of external like community pressure or no? No, I don't think so. I, we were kind of, I mean, we did have friends with kids, but we had just as many friends that didn't. And I don't know if it was just that it, we wanted it so we wanted it so badly because it wasn't working. I don't know. I think most of my life I felt like I if I worked hard enough for something that it would happen. And like if this was the first thing that I couldn't control in that way. Like it doesn't necessarily follow that you do all the right things and then you get your baby. Yeah, I think that's a huge lesson for a lot of people mm-hmm. who maybe haven't had huge struggles and even people who have had right. big struggles I think there's a weird we're taught that if you just like work really hard right. and you try a lot of times and you you train really hard and you have you exactly. know good resources and you can figure it out and like you can be anything you want to be and right. so I feel like a lot of this journey is kind of making peace with like not always and especially when we're talking about health stuff like we totally. you have no control over who gets cancer mm-hmm. who gets hit by a car like right. i think we just like to pretend and believe that we have a lot more right. control than we really do and I, f- I feel like that was for me one of the hardest Absolutely. but most important lessons in this whole thing totally i mean i feel like i'm better for that lesson but at the moment it was really really hard so we tried i think almost a year before we went to the doctor and I was at my OB and she said, well, we'll try Clomid. And so we did a few rounds of Clomid. And then um, on one of those rounds, I got pregnant. and On the Clomid round? Clomid. Okay. Yeah, that's what did it. And I feel like you're one of the only stories I I've heard. <laughs> and it was a crazy making drug. It was just okay. awful. God, I, I, I feel like it was worse than the IVF drugs. I totally agree. I feel like it was giving me insane hot flashes. Mm-hmm. Oh, I just felt like a crazy person. I would have rage, rage. And just out of nowhere, and then it would be gone as soon as it would just go, it would vanish. I'd be so angry about something so crazy, and then it would just be gone. I kind of figured out, I think during one of like the later cycles of Clomid, that you could take it at night. Oh. Okay, check with your doctor. I am not a medical professional, so don't just, like, go based on what I'm telling you. Go ask somebody who actually knows. But I feel like I started taking it at night versus in the day, and it was way better. Okay, well, that makes sense. Because I could just sleep through the rage. Right. It was just, like, rage, <laughs> rage nightmares and yeah, sleep. Yeah, lovely. Just, like, kicking Brad at night. Yeah. Right, exactly. <laughs> anyway, so, Clomid, yay. So Clomid, yay. And then at our first appointment, we found out that it wasn't a viable pregnancy. So the baby had stopped growing at, like... I don't know, seven weeks or something like that. And the the miscarriage itself was pretty um, – we had insurance concern. I was starting a new job, and I did not have insurance because I thought, well, it's just our first appointment. That's covered by insurance. I don't – like, I, it should be fine. I couldn't – I didn't expect that I would need full insurance coverage. I think I was COBRA. I think I Oh, had. yeah. And so – um. I thought, well, that will be covered, so it's no big deal if I just have my first appointment without my insurance kicking in. And then 
they said, okay, well, this pregnancy isn't, you know, you can do the meds or you can do a DNC, but that will be five grand. And I thought, I'm not going to spend $5,000 on a pregnancy I wanted. It was just such a heartbreaking thing to have to decide. It's like, screw you twice. Totally. Like, okay, (laughs) hi, you have to say goodbye to your baby who you've been trying to have for so long and had like imagined. Yeah. And just fantasized about. And then on top of that, like, here's your bill. Right. So, oh my god, five thousand dollars! I get horrible. mad when I have to pay money to like get my tires changed oh, on my car because I feel like you don't what bet. it doesn't even look cuter. It's not even so like you get new you. curtains at home and yeah. you're like, yay, these are really cute. It's like, cool, yes. I'm right back where I was before driving. Just poorer. Anyway. Oh, hate it. So then um, they ended up trying to. It's kind of hard to explain. In the, I was at my OB's and she did a little procedure to try and increase the start of the miscarriage itself. To to pass the miscarriage naturally. Exactly. Okay. And it was extremely painful. And um, I just bled for a few weeks. And after a while, I was like, ooh, <laughs> I don't think I should still be bleeding. And so I ended up um, going back in. And she said that there was still tissue and I needed a DNC. And so thankfully, at that point, my husband was able to retroactively get me on his work insurance. Okay. That's so, so thank that, God. It was a miracle, honestly. And I feel like I never hear that yeah I know, <laughs> it's that always like happens. oh tough a, cookies I know so that was a one of one of a few huge blessings in that whole thing so we um were able to get on the insurance I had the DNC but the whole thing took about six weeks start to finish so it was really a really the hormonal nightmare of it was really dark had you already told your family members yeah. or people that you were pregnant and like how did well honestly I mean they say don't tell anyone when you're pregnant. Which so I hate that. I hate that. And we had people praying for us and we had family that were excited and it was early still and we knew that. But thankfully, when you tell people, there's the advantage that they're, they can hold you when it mm-hmm. doesn't go well. So we had people bring us meals and we had people show up for us. And so I always think, you know, yes, there there is a risk to telling people, but then how do people show up for you if they don't know that you need it? So that that was the darkest part of the whole journey for us. And so I needed a little bit of time after that, both physically and emotionally. And so I think after that, we were like, okay, we're ready to really pursue this after the new year. So we went in, actually went to all the different fertility clinics in Minneapolis because our insurance was very complicated to find out what was covered. So you were like shopping or you were no, just we trying just, to figure we out? we were going back and forth with the insurance companies. We would have consults. We would think we had coverage for part of the cycle. And then it was just such a mess. So it was so overly complicated. It's yeah. just so frustrating. That, I think they make it purposefully yes, complicated. Yes. And so we actually chose to forego IUI because they said, well, we don't really know what's wrong with you. Uh, my husband had a slight issue with his um, sperm, but it wasn't. Like they said, you should, in some cases, you can still get pregnant even with this problem. Well, I mean, you got pregnant on the Clomid. Exactly. And so they were, they said, well, we recommend in, um, injectables. And um, and so every every cycle would cost like nine grand and we're, or three grand. And so it was like three cycles, nine grand. And they said a 20% chance. And we're like, oh, wait, with that. insurance? Yeah. Yeah. Because the, the meds, the meds are the expensive oh, part, you know? Yeah. So, and so anyway, we ended up. Um, just going straight to IVF. And um, we did not test our embryos because at that time, I think I was 33. And she said, I just need to jump in really quick. Yeah. 
I want to say that my doctor did not bring up testing embryos, even at my age. Really? I only asked her about it because my cousin the year before had gone through IVF and tested, genetically tested, and had some that weren't healthy. And I just really think if you're listening to this and you're questioning whether or not you should do it, you should Mm -hmm. think about it because my doctor should have brought it up to us because of our age. And then when I brought it up to her, she said, oh, yeah, that's probably a good idea. Oh, good God. And thank God we did because the first round we would have had four miscarriages. Yeah, that was we had a similar we had a similar story to Sarah where we also didn't have any normal embryos. We we had had two blastocysts mm-hmm. after that um, first retrieval and had them both tested, and they were both abnormal. And I think about all, that all the time because at that time it was the lowest of the low because I couldn't believe we didn't have anything to transfer. Like right. after all the meds right. and like surgery and all this crap, and then they're like, oh, yeah, sorry. I think a lot about, okay, if we hadn't tested them and we'd transferred, either the transfer wouldn't have worked and I would have been devastated by that. We would have spent all the money on the transfer, the transfer meds, meds, all of that stuff. Or, you know, we we would have gotten pregnant, we would have miscarried or something would have happened or we would have found out later. And yeah, like what Sarah said, I think it's tricky because I hear so many people say it's so much more expensive, which it is. It and is. all of this it's is like expensive. Five grand, I think. It, it was, was five four, grand for you. I feel like it was yeah. yeah, it was very expensive. But I understand the argument for doing it. It's especially if you have any concern. I think you just need to look at and talk to your doctor about the risk. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's the infertility stuff, the diagnosis, how old you are, and then make a decision. I just wish my doctor would have brought it up to me because I think we were really good candidates for it. And sure. I kind of feel bad that I had to bring it up to her. Mm-hmm. Anyway, keep going. With your story. Anyway, so yeah, so we did a round of IVF and we were fortunate enough to be pregnant with Eileen, who's now almost two. With your fresh transfer? Yeah. Oh so my gosh. It was honestly. Looking back, it was very ballsy to do it that way because people do it that people way. People do, do it, it that way. way and they yeah. recommend that works it. all they the time. It was fine, but I, later I was like, oh. I think it just depends on the clinic and the way they run things. Like our yeah. clinic was really, I mean, they laid everything out and they said, okay, your odds are going to be better with a frozen transfer because mm-hmm. you, can, you can do genetic testing, but also it gives your body a little time to reacclimate after being, you know, pumped full of the retrieval meds and like going totally. through that. So, but I also know a lot of people who fresh transfers have worked. So right, I think right. it just depends. Yeah, it was so and like Sarah said, it's a blur when you're in it and then and then you're going through the whole pregnancy, like, oh my God, this is actually happening for us. It just it's wild. So Sarah, maybe you can jump in and kind of tell everybody how the three of us know each other because um I don't know if you can pick up on it from listening, but we're all really good friends in real life and I just want to hear from Sarah how we all met and how you heard about mm-hmm. us and all it, that. It was it's so crazy because it's like the stars aligned. A good friend at work knew what Joe and I were going through and said, you know, I know a friend of mine who's gone to this grounding fertility workshop, yoga workshop in St. Louis Park. I'm gonna send you the Facebook link. And so I looked it up and it was you know, this yoga class that was all about fertility. And I knew nothing about her. I knew nothing about anybody that was going. And so one June during the summer, I will never forget. It was on a Wednesday evening at seven. I thought, I'll just give it a whirl. So I I showed up at this yoga class 
And I had no idea that half of it was like a therapy session, which was super uncomfortable <laughs> for me. I was yeah. like, where's the downward dog? Wait, right. but you're a social worker. How are you uncomfortable? It's you just we weren't yoga. expecting it. Well, you know, yeah. they call it, they market it as yoga. And so I expected fitness. <laughs> and I don't know that I was like, yeah, I'm a social worker, but I don't, I'm not super like, I don't, I'm an extrovert, but I don't love always meeting new people. Like I just kind of want to go, when I go to the gym, I just want to do my thing and leave. I'm not like someone that wants to like socialize before and after. Right. This was the socialization. And so was. we were sitting in a, a, a half circle <laughs> talking about our stories. And I remember everybody's story felt real sad. And my story was, so we've tried IUI twice and it hasn't worked <laughs> and I'm here to do yes. yoga. Yeah. So in the end, I heard some gals talking about a brunch and one of the girls said, do you want to be a part of this Facebook group? And, um, and we're doing brunch this weekend. And I was like, I don't even know you. I'm not coming to brunch with you, but that's <laughs> super nice. And sure, I'll be part of this random Facebook group. So I was, and then I ended up going to brunch the following month, and that's, like, where I met everybody. And it was, like, had I not gone to that yoga class and, like, completely stepped out of my comfort zone knowing it was going to all be about fertility because I think I was still also in denial that, like oh. – mm -hmm. You're like, these aren't my people. I was You're like, like these are sad other people. Totally. <laughs> and I wasn't ready to own that we were having trouble. Totally. Like, I was thinking it was just going to be the next month. Mm -hmm. So you guys can have your sad story mm -hmm. and that's fine for you. But I'm getting pregnant next month. Isn't that so weird? That like see weird. You next month. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I'll be peace. pregnant. But peace out. But yeah. good luck to everybody. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that like disassociating that we do. Totally. I, I felt like that too. And I feel like I had maybe been part of this yoga group on the earlier end. I really liked the quote unquote therapy part yeah. of it. it. Like the support group part of it. Mm -hmm. Because... It felt really good to talk about it, and it felt like a really safe place. Mm -hmm. And, like, I kept coming back and back and back and back. And then eventually one class, there was a gal who um, was like, we should make our own Facebook group. And she made it, and she called it, like, the Fertile Myrtles, right. which is, like, a little ironic because we were all non-fertile. Non <laughs> yeah. So there's a little bit of a wink there. And we all would share, like, all of our appointments and everything that was going on and and then, like, more people would kind of join. And then it got to a point when we, where we had all kind of known each other really well. And other people would try to join. And we'd be like, ooh. Ooh, we've got of. enough of us. Yeah. Thank well, God I got in on the tail. You got in, like, just at the end, Sarah. Like, barely. You did. And I got added after only one session, one yoga class. And I thought, okay, I'll join this thing. And maybe it'll be fine. And la, la, la. I'm not ready to join. Do you remember how you heard about it, Keelan? Same. I think it was just on Facebook. And for whatever reason, someone must have told me about it. The yoga class, you mean? Yeah, the okay. yoga class. And I went expecting a workout. And so I'm like, all right, when are we going to do the fitness portion of this? Because like, this is my exercise for the day. It's emotional exercise. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I just remember feeling primarily, one, welcomed by the people. I really loved everyone that was there immediately. And then also, like, kind of like I was. It was among my people, like there, but yet I wasn't ready to be one of those people at the same time. We'll be right back. So I've spent a lot of time this past year developing some really great relationships with different companies who serve TTC warriors. 
and many of them make either supplements or technology or meditation programs that are built specifically for those trying to grow their families. Well, many of these companies have offered incredibly generous deals and discounts to Fruitful members and Been There Injected That listeners, which is awesome news because when we were trying, especially before IVF and stuff, I was buying so much crap. Books and teas and meditations, and I wish I'd had access to some of these discounts. It would have saved me a lot of money. So before you buy that fancy new digital ovulation tracking device or those new vitamins or that pack of pregnancy tests or ovulation strips, please do yourself and your wallet a favor and check out our deals page at fruitfulfertility.org deals. You'll see a bunch of awesome discounts and codes from our most trusted brand partners. So check it out at fruitfulfertility.org deals. Now back to the show. So one of the things I loved about that Fertile Myrtle Facebook group, there were about 20 of us and we all kind of knew each other in real life. Not super well, but we'd met or, you know, gone to a bakery or cafe or somebody's house for dinner, that kind of thing. One of the things that I think changed a lot over time was how some people had seen success with their treatments and some people were still struggling or... It took a little bit longer to get the ending that they were hoping for. How do you think that dynamic worked well? How do you think it maybe was painful? As you're going through it, you can start to feel alone again when you're a part of the group, especially if, especially for the people that were slower to succeed. There, there was an element of like almost not I wouldn't call it would I call it competition I mean I mean it's hard not to compare like yeah even if you're not a competitive person if right. you're all going through something similar at the same time it's hard to not like look at each other's test grades you know it's exactly. hard not to be like what did you get like how why, many embryos why, did you get yeah why did it work for you and not for me or whatever and so so then they would announce their pregnant I think that was the hard thing for me is when they would announce their pregnancy on the group and you knew that like everyone was happy for you. They wanted it to work for everybody, but it was still like, oh shit, but it's not me. It was almost like another one bites the dust. Like it was yes. almost like people yes. were exiting the group. Yes. Or like graduating and the, well, and the group would like whitt get whittled down. Like it was almost like Survivor or something. It was yeah. like people would exit or I thought about it a lot. Like I was trapped on this bus and people would like get off the bus and the new people would get on. But I felt like I was on the bus forever. Looking back, what would you tell younger you? Like, what's the advice you would give to younger Keelan, younger Sarah going through all this? I wish I'd been nicer, <laughs> like to myself and to other people. I feel like I I wish that I hadn't been. I mean, I don't know how how you can't go through this and not feel a little bit selfish every once in a while. But the unknown of it is so difficult. And I knowing the end of my story, I would say just give yourself a break and know that it will happen. But you know that that would never have, you know, we didn't know the answer. Right. So um, I don't know. I think part of the lesson is to, you know, find yourself your people that you can talk to and mm -hmm. reach out and don't be afraid to share your story because I think that helps people open up and help you. And it's too much for your marriage and for your partnership alone to handle. You need other yes. people. Yeah, I don't know what I would tell my younger self. Um, I feel like I was like on this fast moving track and I was not even present as to what was going on. 
Um, and I don't know if being present would have been helpful or not helpful. Mm-hmm. I think it was sort of a defense mechanism for me because I think if I would have thought too much about it, it would have just been too hard. Mm-hmm. But I do think if I would have been a little more present during that time, I would have probably taken better care of myself mm-hmm. just emotionally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Totally. So we'd found each other through this fertility yoga class. Mm-hmm. We were all kind of hanging out once a month or so. Mm-hmm. And we would all get together too if someone was going through something specific and if someone was having a miscarriage, we would all come and mm-hmm. bring food or flowers or something to try to support them. Did you have any other groups or tools or apps or resources or social media accounts that you used to get emotional support or was this pr- like the primary tool you used for support? I mean, honestly, I that was that was my one group of people that really understood what I was going through. I had I have the benefit of a really good community of family and friends, but truly, I mean, I I can't think of anyone else that I knew that was going through the same thing. And so it was so helpful to have at least one group of people that I mean, there was a lot of people that mostly said the right things and did the right things and at least tried to show up. But that was the one group of people that really, truly understood. I would say the same. Um, The only thing I would say is my cousin who I referenced earlier, she did everything like the year before I did. So I called her all the time, like, what is this drug? What did you do for everything? And had I not had her or this group, I would have had zero clue what I was doing. I mean, and just all of the questions as you're going through it, like there's a million questions. Mm -hmm. Where do you get your meds? How do you get it? You know, like insurance stuff, all the stuff. I mean, what to ask your doctor. There's just so much stuff. And so I think had I not found this group, I would have been completely lost. Yeah, there are a lot of questions you have, but then there are also like you need some cheerleading when you're going through this. Like, like I needed someone to be like, you can do the injection yourself. I believe in you. I will come and show you. We can FaceTime. Like that that those emotional moments, like, yeah, it's helpful to know where can I get meds the cheapest. Mm-hmm. But then beyond like what I can Google, I need someone to be like, I see you, I hear what you're going through. You can do this. Well, and when we talk about our similar stories, after we did our first egg retrieval and I was devastated because mm-hmm. we had zero healthy embryos it was so helpful to hear your story because mm-hmm. they kept saying to me oh we'll try a different protocol the second time around I was like this is bullshit mm-hmm. total how, bullshit how is this gonna work any different I don't trust any of you we've mm-hmm. paid billions of dollars I'm exaggerating <laughs> but what felt one like. billion it feels like I mean it feels yes. like monopoly money straight up it's it like I don't know where this is coming from no we're doing it. like this is like pretend And thank God, because I was like, well, if this can happen for Elise, maybe this can happen for us, you Mm -hmm. know, and there's another girl in our group who after I got pregnant, the same thing happened differently, but she had one embryo and it didn't work and they were going to have to do another whole cycle. And she was like, I just don't think it can work. And I was like, it's worked for two of us. I'm not saying it's going to work for you, but Mm -hmm. It has worked before. And I think when you can hear that from someone else or because you just don't believe, you just don't believe. No. And the lows are so low. 
And if you don't have someone that understands, I feel like it's just really lonely and it's a lot for your marriage. It's a lot for just your partner to take on. Can you talk a little bit more about that and like the aspect of like maybe some of the stress it put on your marriage or relationship or like do you remember some of your biggest fights or disagreements throughout everything? It was a very difficult season in our marriage and I think the the hard part for me was that it was it was like it was my body that was failing us and so he he understood to some extent but there was just some element of it that he could not understand and so and he also couldn't talk about it 24/7 like i wanted to like i i process by talking about things and charlie that's why we're friends exactly and charlie <laughs> is like yeah we'll have our we'll talk about it and then we're going to move on and he doesn't necessarily need the like vent right after work (laughs) and so that is what I needed and so it was so helpful to have women that could be that person so I didn't have to overwhelm him and it was very financially stressful and we were really worried about the money and how we were going to make it work and so like there was just so much like leading into it but not to be super Susanna Sunshine about it but Like those fights and those arguments and those difficulties going through made our marriage better so that when we did become parents, because parenting is no joke, you're better at it because you've gone through all those things together Mm -hmm. and the difficulty. But again, this is the importance of women. I think you need to have women that understand where you're at exactly so that you don't have to have so you're the guy doesn't. He can't understand. I think that's a really great point. And obviously, like, hashtag not all men. And, right, like, right. obviously for, like, heterosexual monogamous marriages. Mm-hmm. But I feel like I hear so many stories of women who are just, like, wanting something from their husbands that they're either, like, not capable of giving or, mm-hmm. like, can't be there for them in this specific way. And it can really just drive a wedge between them. And, I mean, I'm speaking from personal experience where... I felt all the time like I was being misunderstood. I felt like I was being gaslighted so hard. Like I was crazy Mm -hmm. and everything was going to be fine. And if I just relax and I just like, oh God, if you, do you know what I mean? Like, you know, like Brad never said that specifically, but there was definitely an air of like, you need to like lighten the fuck up. Right. Because like your anxiety and your stress aren't helping. And I don't think he was ever like, that's why. You know, it's right. not working, but I think he, until we had our diagnosis of endometriosis, I think he was just like, this is in your head. Right. Like, Charlie would try and say the right thing. Like, he was trying to say the right thing, but sometimes there is something that's just so affirming about just being able to cry with a woman who understands. Yeah, and isn't trying to freaking solve it for you. Exactly. Well, and I think when you're the one that's taking the medication every day. Yeah. And you're the one that's going to the clinic every week, mm-hmm. leaving your job, and you're the one whose hormones are jacked. Right. They can't understand that. Mm-hmm. And right. I want – it's like I wanted Joe to be like every day. I wanted him to say like, <laughs> this is so hard for you. Yeah. But he's not going to. But our women friends will be like, this is so hard for you. And you are an amazing warrior goddess. Right, exactly. Yes, and I've done it and it sucks balls, mm-hmm. right? It sucks. Every day it sucks. But like our husbands want us to like feel better. So they're mm-hmm. going to be like, it's going to be fine. Like reassure us. And mm-hmm. some days you're like, no, I just want you to say this sucks and you're the strongest person I know. And I felt like the hardest part of the whole journey was also that you don't know the ending. Like, so he would say it's it's going to be fine. You know, we're, this is going to work out. 
but we didn't i would tell him i'd cry i remember crying and being like you don't know we don't know that this is going to be a happy ending we really don't know and i don't know what kind of person i will be if it's not mm-hmm. i think also men just have less societal pressure mm-hmm. i feel like men don't get asked as often like do you have kids are you having kids like women it's so top of mind forever like and even if you don't really want kids or even if you're somebody who's like on the fence about it or whatever just society is telling us all day every day that was the part that was hard for me was it just felt like the world was one giant trigger like I couldn't watch a movie I couldn't walk down the street I couldn't like scroll Facebook I couldn't do anything without like seeing a belly seeing a bump somebody at work asking if I had kids like it was so inescapable and I just didn't feel like Brad was as sensitive to those triggers as I was and so he couldn't understand how just like painful existing was absolutely and I also think they they can compartmentalize a little bit because it's not there like when you're in the middle of appointments and injections and all of this stuff it's so all-encompassing that the rest of your life Totally. Does not matter at that point. And so it's just like you're surviving. And mm-hmm. he would be able to go to work and come home and not it, – it wasn't taking over his entire life. And so I was resentful about that. Sarah, why do you think it's so hard for people who haven't been through infertility to empathize in a meaningful way? I mean, I think there's a variety of things. I think before I experienced infertility, I had no clue what it was about. I mean, I had heard of people having miscarriages, but I really didn't know about IVF. I didn't know about fertility clinics. I had no clue mm-hmm. because I didn't know people who had experienced it or people. The other thing is people are not comfortable talking about it because mm-hmm. it's so shameful. And it's, you know, or at least it has been in society, like you're just supposed to be able to get pregnant. I also think with the whole loss thing, Oftentimes people don't know what to say. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't know. It, do they apologize? And most times in general, I think when people are talking about grief and loss, people just stop saying anything because they don't want to offend anybody. So all three of us have had kiddos after IVF and after years and years of struggling. And we're still getting emotional talking about this. And I'm curious to know why you think this sticks around with you. I'm always surprised that it still chokes me up because it's, I mean, I have a daughter. She's amazing. It was a good ending for us, but I think it's like the PTSD sticks around. It's like those feelings of that was a very difficult, dark season of my life and I'm not over it yet. Even though I can be, it's the one thing that I can say is that when I see pregnancy announcements and when I hear people that are pregnant, it genuinely does not bother me anymore. I think there's a part of me that always just felt super out of control during that period. Mm-hmm. And it sucked. And I just remember just like leaving it up to the universe and our bank account, right? <laughs> to just like make this happen. And I just, I hated it. Like I... At the time, I don't remember being hateful, but, like, looking back, I, like, I hate that we had to go through that. Mm -hmm. So, Sarah and Keelan, both of you were, like, some of the first mentors on Fruitful and were really supportive of the idea when I had it. And I was kind of, like, running a lot of thoughts by you and picking your brains and seeing if this was an idea that you thought could be helpful or might be worth pursuing. And 
I'm curious to know what inspired you to participate in the program and um, like why why now that you're both parents do you feel compelled to give back? I just felt immediately like I should be a mentor because I like we talked about before if you don't have anybody in your corner that has gone through anything like this it feels overwhelming, lonely, all of the above. And I just, even though the woman I got matched up with and I didn't have the exact same story, at least I could check in with her and ask how her appointment was or say, mm-hmm. that's really great that you're trying that. She asked if I did acupuncture. I said, I, I did. I really liked it. Mm-hmm. Whether or not that helped, like it helped me, it helped my body and she was doing it too. So we talked about that, you know, so like, I don't know that anyone else in her life cares about that or had could answer questions about it, but I just feel like, thank God that people can reach out to Fruitful and find people that have gone through similar stuff. So, Women going through it need someone to talk to, and so for me, I felt like I could offer, if anything, just words of encouragement to another woman going through it, and I will say that I have a three for three pregnancy rate on my... Oh pregnancy. my gosh, Keelan is a lucky mentor, so... so. call out for me. Yeah. <laughs> Keelan's a lucky charm. Exactly. <laughs> okay, so what tips do you have for listeners who are still learning how to advocate for themselves or learning how to talk to their doctor or do the research they need to do, like, if this isn't a world they're familiar with and they're not necessarily somebody who's comfortable asking for stuff, is there any advice you'd give them around that? Yeah, I would just say if you have a doctor that you really trust, don't feel dumb asking a million questions because nobody knows what this stuff is. I would, I felt like my fertility doctor was good, um, but she does this every day and I think says terms and things as nicely as she can, but I still had a lot of questions. So I would just say, really, don't feel dumb asking a million questions because you're not supposed to know this stuff. So I would say, um, don't don't expect your OB to know infertility necessarily mm-hmm. because I spent almost a year at a decent OB clinic. They are really good at pregnancy, mm-hmm. but they are not good at infertility. We wasted time and effort and money and emotional energy on a clinic that did not know what they were doing when it came to infertility. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think the bottom line is just you need to listen to yourself. You need to do your own research. You need to show up with questions. Don't feel intimidated or dumb. Keep asking. Keep pushing. If something doesn't feel right, you know, don't make a decision that you're not comfortable with. You can take time. You can think about it. You can you know, go back to the drawing board. And I think the benefit of having someone, a mentor that's gone through it, mm-hmm. will will help you know the questions even to ask. Like right. I said, I wouldn't have even known to ask about the genetic testing had my cousin not gone through it, you mm-hmm. know? So I just think, had I not had this group of women, I know I would have missed a million things. Yeah. Well, thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Keelan, so much for being here today. We really appreciate it. Thank you for being so open with your stories so generous and being such kick-ass friends you guys are awesome that was been there injected that it is a new podcast produced by fruitful fertility hosted by myself elise ash thanks for tuning in if you liked what you heard please subscribe please rate us check out our website send us an email let us know what you're liking what you're not liking what you want more of what you want less of this is something new to us and we are just excited to be helping spread the word so thank you so much